Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Captain Kyle Smith. And this week, I sat down for a morning meeting with Lebanon, Oregon Fire Lieutenant Kyle Robertson. Kyle just closed on a big apartment complex out of state, bringing his total number of doors up to 50. He shares his secrets on how to invest in multifamily and things to watch out for along the way. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right, hey, Kyle, welcome to the bullpen. Thanks for meeting me. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Well, uh, I reached out to you online, not only because I love your name, but also because uh, we are in a social media group together and I saw you discussing a deal that, uh, that you had just closed on. And so I, I wanted to just touch base with you. I think that um, the, the path that you're on is incredible. Uh, and I think that the people listening to this could get a lot of information out of you. So I'm looking forward to digging into your uh, story. But before we get there, um, how, have, uh, how have things in your life changed since this whole lockdown with the coronavirus and everything else? Yeah, you know, I think that probably, you know, anybody in the fire service will agree that everything from the type of PPE that we wear to, you know, how we just live our daily lives has been pretty heavily affected by this. And um, it, it has, uh, it, it's definitely changed. You know, we, we've got to be a lot more cautious health wise, you know, even just dealing with our, our regular, what we think of run of the mill calls in the fire service, you know, we, we've changed our and updated our PPE to, to be, full-time mask, full-time gown, full-time eye protection um, on every one of our calls that we go on. So, you know, fire service wise, it's, it's kind of flipped, it's kind of flipped over. It's, uh, and it's a good thing. You know, I think it's necessary to, to, you know, make sure that the, the people that we protect and also ourselves are, uh, are safe and uh, investing wise, um, man, it, you know, COVID is one thing. I don't know if, uh, for those of you that aren't really involved in real estate, one thing I never saw coming was things like rent strikes that are going on around the country um, the markets themselves are still hot, you know, but, uh, with a lot of the, uh, a lot of our tenants who are our customers having difficulties keeping jobs, um, that was something that just kind of came out of left field. We didn't really see that one coming. And, uh, we've been lucky and blessed enough not to be affected too much by rent strikes. And I mean, my, when I say we, I'm talking about my wife and I, she's my investing partner, but, um, yeah, it just goes to show you that black swan events happen and you got to be prepared for them and, and, uh, have reserves and backup plans. I'm a plan A, B, and C guy. And uh, so, you know, my, my plan B is always to have enough money to be able to, to take care of our investments, you know, long-term if something like this happened. Yeah, that's perfect. And, and I guess a couple things come to mind right away when you're talking, Kyle, is the thing about having a backup plan. And that, that I think is, is really an important thing, not only in the fire service, we always have backup plans, right? We always have a belay line if we're going to be using a main line to try to rappel down uh, to rescue somebody. We're always going to have a backup hose line when we're making a fire attack. The same thing applies to your finances. You, you have to have a plan A, a plan B, and plan C, just like you're talking about. So I think that's a, a perfect, perfect point. Um, but the other thing I was thinking too is, you know, we have the same protocols going down here, full mask, eye protection, gowns. Um, and I guess in the big picture, it's like a small sacrifice that we have to make to be able to provide the safe customer service that our, that our people here um, deserve, people where you are deserve. Um, and I just rem I'm just reminded like how grateful I am that we still have this incredible job. Um, we get paid every two weeks um, without fail. We, have, we can rely on that and we can use that to sort of you know, blast off. I was interviewing one of our guys last week about that very thing. You know, we, can, we can count on having that paycheck coming in every two weeks and, and a lot of people we've seen unfortunately haven't been able to rely on that so um yeah i'm uh, i'm happy you mentioned that 
Yeah, and really, you know, the the people that that we are protecting are the ones that allow us to do this. You know, I mean, the fact that they're supporting us in the fire service, you know, it's it allows us to do our jobs so that we can protect them. You know, it's a symbiotic relationship, and and um, they understand, they get that maybe it takes a few extra seconds to to put that PPE on before we come inside, but they. You know, we've in our at our department. I'm I'm in Oregon, Central Oil. It's actually Western Oregon, but it's uh, right up I five. Um, we've got a very active social media presence, and we make sure that we educate our public to know that look, you know, we've got a pandemic going on. So if you call nine one one for a medical call and you see our guys jump out of the fire engine or the ambulance, and it takes an extra minute to put a a gown on, that this is the reason why. And we've had nothing but positive responses about that. They get it, they understand, and and we're super appreciative of their support for it. Yeah, same with us, man. And we have the same thing going on down here and, and we have the same sort of support, which is, uh, which is important because like you said, we can't, we can't do our jobs without uh, the support of the public. So that's just perfect. Well, um, sure. yeah, well, with that in mind, man, you ready to get into your first alarm? Let's do it. Cool. All right. Well, uh, down here in San Diego, Kyle, a first alarm assignment consists of four engines and a truck. But here at the firehouse, I'll ask you four questions. You give us one piece of advice. That sound good? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right. Well, as you will well know, when you're first in, you have to give a size up. Size up here at the firehouse is who you are, where you work, and how long you've been doing it. So my name is Kyle Robertson. I'm a lieutenant with the Lebanon Fire District in Oregon. My time on the job has been since 2007, so that'd be 13 years. Um, I started the first two years was as a volunteer, and then uh, um, once the the pandemic, or excuse me, once the the uh, financial crisis happened in 2008, previously I was actually a real estate broker. Um, that was my life before the fire service. And once 2008 happened, which was the big financial crisis, I decided, you know, I'm already a volunteer. Let's go back and get a degree with the call in uh, as a paramedic and see if I can't get a job in the fire service full time. Because um, I, I even just doing it as a volunteer, I already loved the job. So I wanted to make sure that uh, I could make this something I could do forever. So I did, went back, I got my degree. Uh, I was hired uh, full-time in 2009 and um, worked as an engineer for, I wanna say eight years, give or take, I wanna say. And uh, then I started the promotional process. It took me a couple of tries, but then I've, I've been a, a, a lieutenant for the last two years. Awesome. Um, as far as who I am, I'm, I'm 36 years old, married, I've got three kids and, um, we live on a about a little three acre piece of property that doesn't belong to me. I can get into that a little bit later with our questions, but uh, yeah. Wow, that's cool. What a cool story. I love the fact that you you figured out a way to pivot during the financial crisis. I, I, I was investing in real estate back then and I know firsthand how hard that was. And, and while I was never a broker, I can imagine how challenging that is. And, and the fact that you were able to take something that you already were involved in as a volunteer and turn that into a full-time career is, I mean, that's what, that's what the fire service itself is about is problem solving, but also investing. And we will, we'll get, we'll get uh, dug in more to that in a little bit, but Lebanon, Oregon is about an hour South of Portland for those of you that don't know. And it, do I have this right? Cause a uh, five station department. Yeah, we've got five stations. Two of them are staffed full time. We average, we're a small department. We average right around 7,000 calls a year. Um, so our full staffing is, 10. Uh, that includes the battalion chief. We do staff a truck full-time. Uh, we, we staff a truck with, uh, we, we will drop down to eight, which will put two people on a truck, which is definitely something that we're not 
excited about. Uh, so we, we're doing everything we can to, to get up to that NFPA uh, guidelines of three people, three, three, uh, three person truck. When we are full staff, we do staff a, a truck and an engine full time. Uh, when we get all the way down to an eight person staffing, then we have a swing crew at our second staff station. So, uh, but we do staff two ambulances full time. We do have single role paramedics, which uh, complement our ambulance staff. And uh, they used to be a joint staffing with a, a neighboring department where uh, our single roles would share districts. They'd jump over there if they, they needed them, and then they'd jump back to us if we needed them. So uh, we are going to be expanding that as well to, because they've just been such a huge asset to us. Um, you know, running 7,000 calls with two ambulances has been a big, it's been a big deal. And, and uh, the single roles have stepped up and just been huge for us. So we're going we're gonna to make that a lot bigger. Oh, that's awesome. That, and that's probably something that, that gets overlooked is how much of an impact um, the, the medics, the EMTs and paramedics have on our system. I mean, they are running constantly and um, they, they're probably underappreciated. Um, so I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, looking back, did you, when you came on the fire department, I know you mentioned you were a broker. Did you have other sort of financial background, financial um, education prior to coming on the fire department? I did not. So I, at the age of 22, I got my real estate broker's license. Before that, I was floating around being a being kind of an idiot and uh, just kind of, you know, taking in the, the young life as, as much as I could. And I hit 22 and I was like, you know, I, I need to start doing something that makes a lot more sense. Um, something that I can do permanently and, uh, and will be good. And, you know, I decided to try to get my broker's license and, and I did uh, on my second try. <laughs> and uh, as I went, I, you know, I, I started making more money and things were getting really good. And I was thinking, you know, this is, this is okay. It's, and I started volunteering about that time. And I, I thought, I don't know if this is permanent for me, you know, being a broker, being a, a buyer representative for real estate, it, it, I wasn't excited about it. Uh, I got excited about the fire department, but that was the only, only, uh, real estate back or excuse me financial background that i had and um then 2009 happened it was almost one of those things where or 2008 happened it's almost like it was it was meant to be you know it was i could take those skills that i learned from being a real estate broker and continue them you know you got a jobs and b jobs when you become a fire department your a job is always the fire department but then you can do a b job because you got that extra time and so be, and your real estate became my b job not as a broker but as an investor and it just kind of grew from there Oh, that's awesome. I, I love it. I've never heard it called an A job or B job. We have like guys that do um, side work or side hustles or something like that. But I love that A job and B job. That's cool. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, started volunteering in 07 on the fire department and then the crash happened in 08. And, and um, you're able to you're able to pivot. Looking back, who uh, did you have mentors or did you have teachers that kind of showed you the ropes in real estate? Or did you just dive in with both feet and, and try to figure it out? I did. I uh, actually, it was my dad. My dad owns a real estate company and um, he was trying to get me into real estate for a long time before I finally pulled the trigger. And uh, it was funny how it worked because I was actually going to go into the military. My, my best buddy was going into the National Guard. He said, hey, come with me. Let's, let's do this together. So we did. Um, and at the same time, my dad said, look, I don't want you to go in the National Guard. I've always wanted you to work with me. So come take the real estate exam. So I did. And at the same time, I was, I was working through the ASVAP and the physical agility test with uh, the National Guard. And I failed the real estate exam on my first try. I didn't study. I was 22. I didn't care. I was just that, that guy, right? And I told my dad, I said, he, he said, don't give up. You know, just, just come do this. You know, try again. And I told him, I said, look, I'll try it one more time. If I pass, I'll be a realtor. If I fail, I'm shipping out. 
out of here, you know, and I passed. So that was my, that was the, uh, and he helped me, he made sure to spend hours studying with me too. <laughs> he wanted to make sure that I went with him and it, and, it, and it was, you know, it was a great time when I was in real estate. I just, you know, as time went on, it was time to try something different. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And, and it's cool that you did have your dad to help show you the ropes, but um, you know, it's the piece about not giving up. That's important, right? There's, there's lots of people that, that have, great teachers, great mentors, but the moment something goes wrong, they throw in the towel and give up. That that doesn't serve you well in, in real estate investing. That for sure doesn't serve you well in the fire service. Um, looking back sure. towards then now and now um, in the current events, are you seeing any similarities between 08, 09 in the real estate market as you are seeing now? Or is it are we in just a totally different different area? I see similarities, but I also I'm also thinking we're probably in a different area or a different era as well. Um, you know, I you hear a lot of people don't you hear a lot of people say things like don't bet against the Fed. The Fed's going to prop up the, the, the markets and um, they're not going to let not going to let us fail like we did back in 2009. And, you know, in, in my personal opinion, I hope I hope they don't. And the reason being is when living through 2008, 2009, like we did it was, it was ugly. It, you know, a lot of people will respond, well, it's healthy for the market. Okay. Yes, it is healthy for the market. You're right. Cause for corrections have to happen. Otherwise you get massive inflation and things just get completely out of control. And so, yes, they have to happen, but there's another side of that coin, which is real Americans, real middle income, lower income people struggle. And I mean, I'm talking job losses, poverty, homelessness, all the really nasty things that, that happen out there. So yes, to answer your question, I do see a lot of similarities and it's sad. And I hope, I don't make any, any predictions because who knows, right? But I really, really hope that we are able to steer in a different direction and get out of this one because, you know, with um, people losing their jobs, not able to pay rent, and we're really not getting a whole lot of assistance as landlords if your renters can't pay. Um, we could see a massive housing crisis. We're not seeing it now. You know, the real estate market is just outrageously hot and it could happen. You know, I, I hope it doesn't, but I mean, it's good for us as landlords if it keeps going. It's good for the people that rent from us, our customers, if it keeps going and everything stays healthy, but nothing stays healthy forever. So will we go through a cycle? Yeah, I, I really do. I just don't think it'll be like 2008. I hope. Yeah, same here. And I agree wholeheartedly. That was not good for anyone. That was a, a good thing for maybe a handful of people that had a lot of cash on hand. But for the average everyday people, that was a nightmare. And I'm I'm in the same boat. I hope we don't see that because it, it affected lots of people that I know. It affected people I work with. Um, it was a horrible time. And I hope that's not, not um, on the horizon here either. But we have seen a staggering amount of inflation. The real estate market here, like everywhere, is ridiculous um and so i guess for me i don't i don't see where this all ends other than a serious pullback or a serious correction um where a lot of people are going to get hurt i think part of what we have going for us now that we didn't have going for us back in 0809 is the the remember the liar loans where you could just go on stated income and, and qualify for any loan you wanted under the sun and all of a sudden when the market changed now people are upside down in their homes but they don't have any equity in it. They don't have any real skin in the game. And they thought, well, okay, you know, I guess I'm just going to walk away from this. I'll take the hit on my credit, but I'll live to, to see another day. Whereas today people now have a significant amount of equity. And if, if um, things take a turn for the worse, I mean, hopefully people have locked in long-term um, really low financing um, that they'll be able to at least 
survive this thing and see it out. But with all that being said, I also think there might be opportunity for um, real estate investors and have a, a good understanding of market fundamentals. Can you speak a little bit about what you would do if you're, if you're analyzing a market? Yeah, for sure. But uh, real quick to, to touch on what you said, because you made a, 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 an amazingly good point. And that is a lot of people have equity today that they didn't have yesterday. And usually with a lot of equity and low interest rates, what do you get? You get refinances, right? So one thing that I, I really kind of pound into my guys' heads is refinances are great. You can pull your money out if you want to. But if you're going to refinance and we're on the cusp of a possible housing market, consider not pulling your money out. Consider just refinancing for that rate. It's going to help you monthly. But there's such a thing as being over leveraged. And when you over leveraged means you have too much debt. That means too much mortgage. So like you said, with, with property prices going up as fast as they've gone so far, let's say you got a $100,000 house a year ago, but now it's a $200,000 house today. Well, banks are going to loan up to 80% of that, right? So what does that come out to? About $160,000. So what happens if you get a $160,000 mortgage and now the housing market crashes and now your house is worth one dollars You're $10,000 upside down. So just to, to your point that you made, which was brilliant, don't over leverage yourself. It's okay to take advantage of lower interest rates and, and refinance. You got to pay those closing costs, part of the game. But um, So thank you for that. I wanted to touch on that for sure. But as far as what I would be doing, um, I'm not the guy that sits there with a nest egg in my bank account. I am, if we do have a market crash, that's great for the people that are sitting on the sidelines with cash, but I've tried that before in the crash of 2010, the crash of 2018. I didn't, it, it didn't work out as well for me as I thought, cause you can't time the market. So for me, the way that I invest is if the numbers make sense for me and they cash flow. Cash flow is king for me. I invest out of the state of Oregon where I live. I don't, I don't invest in Oregon. Um, I invest out of state. And so what I'm looking for is something where the numbers make sense. So I don't have that big nest egg. So if a crash did happen, I'm not going to be that guy that's gobbling up a bunch of properties because I've been doing that this whole time. And because the, the deals that, I'm, that I invest in are already well-priced. I invest in the Midwest and the Midwest is typically where you're going to find a little bit more uh, recession resistant properties. They, they don't have major appreciation. And for those who don't know what appreciation is, that's when your value, your property goes up in value. So California, where you're at Kyle and Oregon, where I'm at, I mean, we've got 10% plus uh, appreciation every year. That's unheard of. They get one to 3% in the Midwest, but they also get depreciation about the same rate as do we. So when the market crashes, you see our real estate values go boom, right down to the ground. When the Midwest, they'll just, they'll take a little hit. You might see a little dip in the rental rates, but it's, but it's not much. You're still just, you're killing it on your cash flow. Um, but here, if you can buy at the bottom of a market, you buy a good price. And 10 years from now, you've made 100% plus on the value of your property or even less than 10 years in Oregon and California. So um, I buy deals when they make sense. It doesn't, doesn't matter so much to me whether or not the economy is about to crash. To answer your question in a long-winded way. <laughs> no, that's perfect. And, and I'm, I'm happy that you, you are saying, you're, you're emphasizing to people, the numbers have to make sense. That's the key point here. Um, can you just dive into what exactly cash flow is? This is a question I get as much as anyone else, uh, as much as any other one. What is cash flow? Um, is that just the difference between what you, your mortgage and interest is versus what you get in rent? Or is there more that goes into that? Way more. Yeah, that's a great question. The, so cash flow, um, 
try to figure out some sort of analogy, but it probably won't come to me. Uh, typically, when you're assessing any sort of a property for rental income, the income that you get after all of your expenses is called cash flow. Cash flow is what makes people rich, essentially, you know, to, for, for lack of a better way to put it. This is what people consider passive income, although it's not passive. Um, if, it's, if it is passive, you're probably doing something wrong because you have to keep a pretty close eye on your investments if you really want to make sure that they're going to be successful. But your cash flow is your rents minus expenses. So it's your income minus expenses. The way I assess properties is the first call that I make is to the realtor to find out all the financials. I ask for taxes. I ask for insurance. I ask for utilities. The utilities may be electricity, water, sewer, garbage, pest control, lawn care, because obviously I live in Oregon. I own property in Arkansas. I'm not going to go over there and mow their yard. That becomes an expense, right? Um, in areas that get more snow, unlike California, snow removal is an expense that some people don't think about. So when you're assessing markets, you got to make sure you know what all the expenses could be because they're different depending on where you're at in the country. So, and then you also got to figure out what your management rate is. So a property manager is going to charge anywhere from 6% up to 10%, give or take. Um, don't ever pay over 10%. There are plenty of managers out there that will give you, that are really, really good managers for 10%. Um, if you're assessing with a manager and they're saying, you know, we start at 13%, then just say, look, you, pass, you know, you, you need to be your own advocate when it comes to these things. Um, and real estate, no matter if it's about the purchase price or if it's about the management rate, it's all about negotiations. You got to figure out what you can get for, to, to increase that cash flow. So management, um, mortgage obviously is a big one. Um, and that's about it. You know, we got pest control contracts too. If the property is on a septic system, that that's, that saves you money for, for sewers and stuff like that. So you just gotta, you gotta know the right questions and there's a lot of them that you gotta ask, but, uh, um, they're out there. It's all about doing your own due diligence, about doing your own research. Yeah, that's perfect. Are you setting aside a certain amount of, um, uh, reserves for things like repairs and maintenance, um, like you're talking about mowing the lawn or, or the water heater goes out? Are you setting aside a certain percentage of that rental income each month? Or is it something you just kind of gotten good at over the years? Or how do you do that? No, great question. Yes, absolutely. And this kind of goes back to that being over leveraged thing. You know, when we, when you purchase, you're typically going to purchase with 20% down on most properties. That leaves you with a pretty high mortgage, especially when you're getting into apartment complexes because the purchase prices are so high. So that being said, your expenses go up because your mortgage especially is pretty large. So what we do is we take what we call VRC, stands for vacancy, repairs, and capital expenditures. Vacancy is the killer of gains. It's the killer of returns. If you have a vacant unit, yeah, I mean, you got to think if you got a, a in the Midwest, you know, a pretty average two bedroom uh, apartment complex is going to rent for 600 bucks. If that place is empty, you just lost 600 bucks. It sucks. So what we do is we don't purchase a property unless we assess it and we can handle three months of vacancy. Um, actually, I take that back. It's more like 30% of vacancy. So if we have nine units, three of them can be empty and the mortgage will still cover all expenses. So that's, we don't buy it unless that's our main minimum right there. So 30% vacancy, so 70% occupancy is, and we got to get the price in order to, so the mortgage covers that. Um, so yeah, the vacancy is 10% um, every month. The repairs are 10% every month. Now, when I say of every month, that's of the rents. So if you've got $10,000 of income, you keep $1,000 out for rent, uh, vacancy, $1,000 out for repairs, $1,000 out for CapEx. When I say CapEx, that's the only one I haven't covered. Those are big ticket items. Those are roofs, 
Those are water heaters. Those are boilers, air conditioning, like HVACs. Um, those are big items. They're also items that are big tax returns or uh, big tax benefits as well and depreciation. Um, so don't be afraid of the big ticket items. Yeah, they're big money out of your pocket, but you typically get that money back over time. So 10% VRC for each. And th those are what our reserves are. That's perfect. I, I want everybody listening that is considering investing in whether it's multifamily, single family, or anything else. Remember, those are the big ticket items for your expenditures. Just rewind the tape and, and listen to what Kyle just said right there. It's absolutely perfect. Um, one piece with that recapture, uh, or one piece with that depreciation is if you go to sell your property um, whenever you're done, whatever your exit plan is, if you go to sell there's something called recapture of that depreciation, but a way to avoid that, or at least to defer it, is something called a 1031 exchange. I'll make a video to that and I'll link it here um, just so people understand um, a little bit more about that. But I, I just love everything you're saying here, Kyle. Um, what's, what's the one mistake you see people make related to uh, real estate investing? Is there something that sticks out in your mind that you could help us try to avoid? Yeah, um, man, I've got 15 of them, but I, I know you don't, you don't have that much time. <laughs> but I think probably, I think the biggest one and probably the most costly is the, is people just not getting in. You know, there's, there's a lot of people and I was one of them um, that kind of sit on the sidelines and I think, oh man, big, you know, people say real estate's the biggest purchase you'll ever make. And they're absolutely correct. But the thing is, is that it's also the biggest reward. And, and, and that's, that's my opinion. You know, I've, I've played with stocks. Um, I've done other types of investments. I've got a, a 401 or not a 401k, but a, a deferred compensation plan. The fact of the matter is you, you, you can't rely on that stuff. That stuff is, uh, it's not always a guarantee, but you know what? And, and even real estate's not a guarantee, but it is a tangible asset. Tangible asset means it's something you can put your hands on, you can feel it, you know, it's there. And that asset is going to help you in your retirement. And I, like I said, I'm all about that plan B. So my plan A is my deferred comp and my PERS and, and this, that, and the other for a comfortable living, but I'm not relying. What happens if I walk outside and I get hit by a car and now all of a sudden I'm paralyzed and I can't work any longer? Well, you know what? My renters are still going to keep paying their rent. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plan B that will pay itself in dividends. It'll pay itself in equity. It'll pay itself in cash flow. It'll pay itself in tax benefits there's no end to the benefit of being a property investor. And, and that's why we did it. You know, honestly, the way that we did this is I, I finished up college. I got hired. We had all three of our kids and we were driving down the highway one day and I, a realization came to me. I've got 30 years until I retire and there's nothing on the horizon. What am I supposed to do with my life now, except for just wait to retire, wait to die. And I, I had, you know, I've got hobbies just like all of us do, but there was no excitement left. I was like, I just accomplished everything that I need to do. My wife and I did something super crazy. And, and that day I told her, I said, have you ever thought about just hitting the reset button? You know, let's just, let's just hit the reset button. Let's sell everything. I mean, let's sell everything. And we did. <laughs> and uh, people call it reckless. Uh, we sold our house. We sold, at that time, we owned some uh, uh, duplexes. We sold those. Uh, we sold our car and um, ended up getting a new car because we had we realized we couldn't live without a car. But uh, that was the only thing that we really kind of carried through to this new life of ours. We took that money. We bought some uh, storage units, a small one that I knew the guy, I knew the owner, 50 units. Kept that for two years, doubled our money, sold that, bought two duplexes, also both side by side, four doors. Kept those for two years, sold those. Um, we took that money and we invested in the Midwest. We bought a fourplex for like super cheap. And we were like, Oh man, there's a, there's a game here, you know, in the Midwest where 
prices are stable, rents are good, tenants are great. There's a game here. Let's let's figure this one out. And so we decided to buy a 12plex. We did uh, with very little down. And then we just rolled it from there. We sold our primary residence and invested that money in the Midwest. And now here I am living in a place that doesn't belong to me anymore, renting, you know, and it's like, I, I own 50 doors to my name and four different properties and not, and the place I live, I don't even own. So it's, uh, it, it was, as far as this goes all the way back to just, just get started. You know, time is your friend when it comes to investing, whether it's stocks, whether it's real estate, whether it's your deferred compensation plans, whether it's a 457 or a 401k, whatever, just get going. You know, you have to have that that financial stability because it gives you confidence in every other part of your life. Oh, that's perfect, man. And, and what I love about the Midwest real estate market is it's a nice hybrid um, between a little bit of appreciation with that cash flow, like you're talking about, just a really stable place to invest. Now, um, how you're not, you mentioned you're not from the Midwest. So how does a guy from, with due respect, a small town in Oregon, find a property out in the middle of the Midwest? This is a huge country. How, how do you, how do you go about yeah. that? Man, I could talk for an hour on how to source deals, and because uh, we've we've learned a lot of stuff over the years, I won't. Obviously, I'll, I'll give you the quick one on what our what our go tos are. Uh, you got two different kinds of deals for the most part: on market and off market. When I say on market deals, these are deals that are listed with real estate brokers, and they are you're going to be paying a little bit more. These are uh, owners who will approach a realtor and say, "I don't want to mess with this. I'll pay you your six percent commission. Just get rid of this thing for me." And they're gonna they're gonna typically pay you're gonna pay a retail price. Excuse me, that, that's not typically a bad thing because the Midwest prices are already very good. Um, so what we use is we use the realtor.com app. You can just download that on your phone. It's got an awesome map function. So if you do open it up, there's a map function up in the top right. You click map. You can surf the entire United States. Pretty much every single multiple listing service in the country uploads to realtor.com. And so when you click map, there's going to be all these little red pin dots all over the map. Every one of those is something for sale. You can click on it, it brings up the price and all the information about the listing. Uh, we found our very our first two places using that function. Um, so that's option number one, those are on-market deals. And then you've got off-market deals. We've had a lot of success with Facebook Marketplace. Um, not only Facebook Marketplace, but Facebook Groups, which is where I met you. Um, there's a lot of people that'll get on there and they'll, they'll, they'll post their deals. That's how I'm gonna sell my deals from now on as well because it's nationwide. So some of these deals, you just, if you just get on Facebook and you go to search bar and you click multifamily real estate or you click California real estate and hit enter, all of a sudden you're going to get all these groups popping up that have tens of thousands of people in them of either buyers or sellers. We bought our next two places by doing that. Um, there are, there's a whole organization of real estate called wholesaling. Um, if you don't know what wholesaling is, I really recommend you look it up because there are some really awesome wholesalers out there. They're kind of like realtors, but they're unlicensed and they are kind of the realtors of off-market deals. Um, you can meet them on Facebook. They've got wholesaling groups where you get on there and you say, hey, my name is Kyle. I'm looking for real estate in Tennessee. This is my price range. I need at least 16 units or more. What do you got? And you'll, your inbox will just blow up with people saying, hey, I got this seller over here who wants to sell this price. Are you interested? Um, vet your wholesalers if you get in touch with them because there's no regulation there. You got to make sure that you got somebody who's legit. Um, there are wholesaling companies, but uh, yeah, just just kind of pay attention to that. Um, the third place, and it's still Facebook, but the third way we've gotten properties before is we get on, we go to Facebook Marketplace and we look for rentals. So we like apartment complexes. So you type in 
three bedroom rental and all of a sudden you get a $700 a month rental apartment that comes up, we message them and say, Hey, I don't want to rent your place, but you want to sell it. And we've actually been able to buy that way as well. Oh, that's amazing. Those are all uh, incredible, incredible. Um, it's very, you're, you're using the skills that you have to, to further your, your real estate investing, which is just incredible. Like you're taking your ability to um, problem solve and, and applying it to real estate, which is so cool to hear. Um, I would, I would add to that, that if you do approach a wholesaler, like, like I was talking about, um, make sure you've done your due diligence and vet them um, really thoroughly and then be as specific as possible. And what I mean by that is, and Kyle mentioned it here, I'm looking for this type of property, this many units in this type of neighborhood. And um, this is the type of, uh, this is my price range. So being as specific as you can will help them um, narrow their search down for you, number one. But number two, it also shows them that you've done your homework on the front end, right? You're not gonna just get on any of these platforms and say, hey, uh, wholesalers out there, random wholesalers out there, um, send me all your deals. You're just going to get complete crickets if you do that. But if you show up front that you've done some homework, you are more likely to get some um, some hits back in your inbox that Kyle's talking about. So that's just perfect. Um, and you kind of touched already on, on some resources, Kyle. So maybe I'll just, I'll just jump down to like one piece of advice, one piece of advice that you could give anybody listening to this, whether it's related to personal finance, whether it's related to real estate investing or just getting down the path, understanding that, that we're responsible for this. We're responsible for creating the type of life that we all hope for and dream for. What would be one piece of advice you could give people? Uh, I, I know you say one piece of advice, but I'm going to cheat and I'm going to, I'm going to read through about six of them that I've got on here and I'm not going to spend much time talking about them because I, I know you've got a time limit because <laughs> this is another thing that, you know, I, you ask my guys that, uh, that work under me and they'll tell you I'm pretty long winded. So, um, but these things are all important enough for you or for your, your listeners that I don't want to miss any of them. So if you want to talk about any of them after I say them, please feel free to speak up. But um, invest earlier, I already talked about read books, 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 books. There are so many books out there on just real estate, but also self-help. Um, I would really like to tell you about um, The Miracle Morning. That's a, that's a self-help book. If you know The Miracle Morning or if you've seen The Miracle Morning and you haven't read it yet, pick the thing up. It's really difficult for those of us that work 24s um, to really make that work, but don't let that deter you because there's, there's so many good things in that book that can, it can change your life. Um, be a student, just like you're a student of your job. Be a student of real estate. You know, if you choose this to be your asset class, if you choose this to be your method of investing, invest in real estate and be a student. Learn everything you can. Like I say, it goes back to reading books. I read a lot of books. I read most of them on self-help and real estate investing, and it has made all the difference in the world. Quick plug to David Green from Bigger Pockets: uh, Listen to or read uh, Long Distance Real Estate Investing. If you're in California and you don't want to listen or you don't want to buy in California, read that book. You, know, you can, it'll teach you everything you need to know about, about, uh, investing out of state, uh, surround yourself with successful people. You become your environment. So make sure you do that. Surround yourself with the people that, uh, that you admire. I think, I think attitudes are contagious. I'm huge on that. So make sure that you're surrounding yourself with good, positive people and it'll change your life. Get sleep. You poor guys working 24s. It sucks. I'm with you. I feel you. I've been doing it for 13 years. It's miserable. Take care of your body. Take care of your mind. Um, keep your personal life happy. For those of you who are married or have kids, never go to work mad. 
your personal life will bleed into your professional life. And I'm not just talking about fire department. I'm talking about investing. Make sure that you're taking care of your personal life and everything else will fall into place along with your finances. Uh, protect your credit like your firstborn, please. Protect your credit like your firstborn. Uh, those things are what's going to make this possible for you. If you want to get into different asset classes and really see your wealth balloon, protect your credit. Uh, if you're financially comfortable, you gain confidence in everything. So make sure you do it. Talk about money. I know that sounds super weird. Uh, you know, even just saying it kind of sounds super weird, even though I live it. It's okay. It, it, it's not taboo anymore. This isn't 1930, you know, where people keep their finances really close to their chest. Be that person where your younger guys or you guys can, can look up to your boss. If you got bosses listening right now, it's okay to talk about money. You know, don't alienate people and start flaunting how much you got in your bank account. But talk about the importance of it and the importance of being responsible with it and, and teach your kids about it. You know, they don't teach this stuff in school well enough. Yeah, they don't even teach how to, how to do your taxes. So, I mean, really take the time to teach your kids or maybe if your wife or your husband doesn't know much about money, teach them. Let them know what it is about money because your, your first partner in real estate investing, if you're married, is probably going to be your spouse. They got to be on board. And as, if they're not familiar, you got to educate them just like you got to educate yourself. And, uh, and it'll be a, it'll be up from there. Trust me. That's all I got. Oh, Kyle, that is just such good information, man. That is in perfect alignment with everything we talk about here at the firehouse. As far as being a student, reading books, there are millions of books available for free at the library talking about all this stuff. And you mentioned specifically the miracle morning. That's probably the book I recommend more than any other book. And people listening to this, hearing me talk about it are probably rolling their eyes because they know how much I love that book. <laughs> uh, you talked about, you, you know, your, your network is your net worth. That famous Gary Keller saying, it's like the sum total of the, you are the sum total of the five people you spend the most amount of time with that, that old Zig Ziglar uh, quote. And those things are true, right? Those have withstood the, t uh, the test of time. And it's just, it's just perfect. And I love hearing somebody that, you know, we've only just met you and I, but, but we're on similar paths and we're grinding and we're trying to make it happen um, so that we can provide a, a sort of lifestyle that, that we think we really want to provide for ourselves and for our families. And yes, there are sacrifices up front, but um, like you mentioned before, the amount of time, you know, you got to just jump in because the amount of time you spend in there is a lot more important than timing it. And if you can just get in there, make a purchase and don't be dumb about it. Do your due diligence. If the numbers make sense, you got to go for it. And if you're listening to this and you heard Kyle's story, he has gone for it and he's compounded each little win along the way till now he's got 50 doors under his belt. And I can only imagine um, there's nothing but success in his future. So I just, I love that, man. And, uh, and with that, it looks like you, you got knocked down on your first alarm. So Excellent. if, uh, if uh, people want to learn more about you, Kyle, where can they find you? Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't advertise myself, you know, um, but I love talking real estate. I can probably sit here and talk real estate for days on end. And, and so if anybody wants to connect, probably the best way is going to be through Facebook. And I can give you my Facebook address because I memorized it before I got on here. I didn't know it before, but it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Kyle dot Robertson. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N dot three three zero four if you just put that into a search bar then my facebook page will pop up and uh, send me a friend request send me a private message i check them i know where the spam folders at so if uh, if you do send me one then i'll be able to, to check all those different hidden folders and, and I'll, I'll catch you so love to talk shop with you guys if you got anything then let me know
Oh, that's perfect, man. And I'll, uh, I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes and some of the other things that we're talking about uh, on this show. So with that, Kyle, I just want to say thank you for um, sharing all your story here today. Um, this was something that was probably out of the blue for you, but the amount of information, the actionable stuff you've given us is just priceless. And um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if people were reaching out to you. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, Kyle, I think that you supplying this to your listeners is, is, uh, that's a real servant attitude. And I, I hope that everybody else can learn that from you as well. And, and like I said before, talk about money, make sure that you're lifting each other up, you know, be a mentor for somebody and, uh, and just keep being a student. You'll, you'll be fine. Awesome. Well said. Well, thanks, Kyle. Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks again to Kyle for meeting me here in the bullpen. If you want some actionable advice, just listen back to the last few minutes of this show. He gave us six pieces of advice that were just absolutely off the charts. If you'd like to learn more about Kyle, you can find him on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash kyle.robertson.3304. If you'd like to learn more about us, we're on Facebook at The Firehouse. That's house. On Instagram, the underscore fire underscore house. On LinkedIn, The Firehouse Investors or any place you listen to podcasts. If you learned something today and you'd like to hear more, please like, share, and subscribe. But no matter what you do, take this information, go out there, and get some. Station F.